every now and again, a few times a year, my wife and I will do premarital counseling with some folks. And there's one conversation near the end of premarital counseling that's all about sex and money. Uh, and it's the conversation that everybody's sort of really daunted by and uncomfortable with. It's the one everybody wants to have. Uh, but, but there's this sort of uncomfortableness that comes from just kind of messing around in people's kitchen. You know, you start talking to somebody about sex or money, you're, you're talking about things that really matter. And, uh, and tonight, I just kind of feel like some of what I'm talking about tonight has that kind of feel to it. Um, it would actually make a lot of sense in the sermon this evening to begin asking questions or talking about, truly, this will make sense later on, although it's going to sound maybe pretty awkward right now. It would make a ton of sense if somebody goes, hey, based on what you said tonight, what role does sex play in the new creation? That'd be a fantastic question that comes out of this and all sorts of other ones. Um, and in light of that, uh, because tonight we're going to be going from Genesis to Revelation and the prophets and the gospels and all this kind of stuff as we talk about love. Um, I want to ask uh, if you're a student intern or an intern or work here, which is, I guess, Kirsten, I can just say your name. <laughs> That's the third category. Uh, uh, would, would, you, would you stand up for a minute so people can recognize you? Uh, so so y'all, sometimes I might say like, hey, come, yeah, you can give them a hand. They're wonderful. Thanks, thanks, thanks. Um, so sometimes, you know, up front, I might say something like, hey, I'd love to, to get to know you or have a cup of coffee with you or, or whatever. And, and often I'll stand by the door outside and people will come out and, and, and say, hey. Um, the, the reality is there's far too many people um, on this campus and involved in this ministry than, than I can meet with. And that's not even the goal anyway. I don't sort of stand up here as an expert um, for everybody. Uh, I want to care for you. Um, but God is training up people in his church to do that all over the place. And so our student interns and our interns and Kirsten, like anybody that you just saw standing up, and I'm sure if you were invited here by somebody, I'm sure that person would probably love to, to uh, walk with you through answers to questions or, or something like that. So um, yeah, it'd break my heart if you came here every Tuesday and you didn't know anybody else. So take a risk, ask somebody to get to know you. Uh, and if you have questions, just ask, okay? So um, in light of that, hey, I'm Jason, if I don't know you, uh, I work here. Happy Valentine's Day. Um, uh, I hope that you feel as loved as you are today. There, there's a group of folks that, um, that did some awesome stuff tonight. I think this looks really cool up here tonight and the hearts everywhere and all that. That's awesome. Um, but today truly is a really strange day for a lot of people. So uh, Susanna, who works with us on staff, um, she does a lot of financial and development stuff with us. She actually was a former student. Uh, and as a plug, I guess, for the guys in girls' house, um, she met her husband when she was living in the girls' house and he was living in the guys' house and whatever. Uh, anyway, um, uh, that's a plug, I suppose. Um, can't promise anything. Uh, but today she was telling our staff this story. She was at the Hot Chocolatier, which if you don't know about it, it's a great place to chocolates I guess I don't know go on a date or something um but it's a really cool joint um but Susanna said she went in today and like the whole place was full of like tons of awkward men <laughs> uh like waiting in line and they have like 20 minutes to get to the front and when they get up there they have she's like she was like they have no idea what they want and so they're just taking the prepackaged stuff you know uh and we were just kind of reflecting on sort of the strangeness of the day and um no one really knows what to do honestly uh, I, I know that some people revolt against a day like Valentine's Day because we shouldn't just have like one day to love people or whatever. Uh, and for others, I know the day sort of drips with sentimentalism. Uh, uh, a handful of my friends, honestly, right now, like right now, um, are in the very wake of broken romances um, and all the flowers and chocolates and colors and hearts. Um, they're stirring in waters they want to be still right now, you know? Uh, and it's a really hard day for that. Um, for some of us, I know we're in the newness of a relationship, 
And Valentine's Day, with like, there's like pink lights in the back and hearts everywhere on the floor. And, and today can be layered with sort of hope and expectation for some folks. Um, and then for, if you're in a new relationship, maybe like a day like today is this like, you're trying to put your foot on the brakes because you're like, I don't, I don't know if I should be thinking about marriage and we haven't gone on a second date yet. Uh, you know, and that's right. That's actually right. You shouldn't be. Uh, anyway, whatever. It's an intense day. Okay. It's an intense day. Um, there have honestly been a handful of times in my life when, uh, with, with uh, like romance, when I've kind of been done with it. Uh, there's been a few seasons where I've just been like, I'm done with this. And, and there's one in particular <laughs> uh, when I finally called it off with Katie. Um, Katie. Uh, what a mess that relationship was. Um, when it was over, y'all, I was in shambles. I was in absolute shambles. And when I looked back, uh, sort of on the, the, the sort of mess of the past six months of my life, it looked like a hurricane had been there for six months. And when the, when the sky cleared and I was a wreck, I just looked out over the destruction in my life and I was angry and I was sad. And, and I remember thinking and saying, never again. I will never, ever, 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 ever date anybody again. And I meant it. And I wasn't going to say it to anybody because I knew they wouldn't believe me, but I believed me. I was never going to do this again. You ever been there? In moments like that anyway, and on days like today, when we make much of love and togetherness and belonging, it's helpful, I think, to remember why God made us this way. Why did God make us this way? Why do we love? Why do we feel unsatisfied? And why do we have a craving for connectedness? Why do we long to love and to be loved? Why do, we, why do we long for this at all? Why can't we shake it or outgrow it? Why, when I say never again, can virtually anybody look at me and be like, yeah, right. Like, why can't we outgrow this stuff? Maybe you know why. Maybe you already do. And I hope tonight truly nurtures your heart and your mind and, and gives strength in very vulnerable places. Maybe you've never heard what we're going to talk about tonight. And I'm glad you're here, if that's the case. This semester, we've been preaching through the Gospel of John. Um, uh, who incidentally talks quite a bit about love. But tonight on Valentine's Day, we're going to take a break from that um, to look at what God has to say about why he made us the way we are. Why do we long for love? And so to do this, we're going to look at the very beginning and the very end, and it's going to be a lot. So plot your Bibles or your Bible apps or take some notes or whatever. If you have questions, there's a bunch of people who stood up and people next to you. I encourage you to take what we're talking about tonight and go further. But let, let's pray before we open up the word and um, we'll see what God has to say to us. Father, who loves us so much. As we um, talk about so much of your word tonight and we look at snippets of what you have said and what you have done throughout history, um, may your spirit stir up our hearts. May we long for things that can't be satisfied by any person in this room. May hope creep into places where we've shut a door. May we believe in ways where we didn't even know we could. We pray collectively for our friends in the room that, um, that they just feel a mess right now because of romance. We ask that you bring healing quickly and peace. Care for them. Use us if you can and, and, and if you will it. Use us to help care for them but help all of us to see what you have to tell us tonight through your word. Would you keep my words true? Keep me from being a heretic. 
Help us to take your word into our minds and hearts and to respond to you and to your invitation. We do love you, but we only do that because you love this first. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Uh, Tyler, would you put Genesis 127 up for me, brother? In the beginning, friends, in the beginning, God made mankind in his image. In the beginning, God made man in his image, in his likeness. God actually says, if you really want to start digging in some fun questions, let us make man in our image, in our likeness. In Genesis 1.27, we're told that God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Genesis 1.27. Mankind, male and female, were made in the image of God. You might sometimes hear the phrase imago Dei, the imago Dei. That means the image of God, the image of God. And you know what images do. Everybody here knows what images do. You have them all the time on your phones and these kinds of things. They represent another thing. Every image represents something else. And so when God makes us in his image, what he means to, to, to do is have us represent him, that people would see us and think of him. Humankind is set up from the very beginning as a distinct part of God's creation. That is, in a way that trees don't, and rocks don't, and stars don't, and streams don't, and even dogs don't. Especially not cats. As a distinct part of God's creation, we are to reveal God to the rest of creation. You with me? At the very beginning, God sets up humankind as an image of himself. It's very important that you, you hold on to this. This is something God intends to do at the very, very beginning. And you know what he tells his images to do? What he has this image that he makes? What he tells them to do? Create and procreate. That's maybe a helpful way of remembering the summary of it. To work and to marry. To work and to marry. Now work is another conversation that's related to this whole thing. If, if you're actually going to the discernment retreat this weekend, we'll dig into some of this, okay? But tonight I'm particularly interested in this marriage idea. The God creates his little images these people, and he ushers them into marriage right away. Listen to what Jesus says in Mark uh, chapter 10, verses 6 through 9. Tyler, um, I'm just going to reference Bible passages and throw them up on the screen when you think it makes some sense. Jesus says this, but from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two but one flesh, what therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. From the beginning of creation, Jesus said. From the beginning of creation, right there at the beginning, God distinguishes humankind and ushers them into marriage. It's one of the very first things we see God do in the Bible. Jesus says it happens right at the beginning. He takes these little people, these images of himself, and he places them in marriages. And none of this is an accident, friends. None of this is accidental in him. Think about this just for a second. I, we could do this all night. I've only got to just give a brief image into the, that's a strange word right now, a, a, a snapshot, whatever, of, of this just for a second. Okay, that God creates people who bear his image and are in his likeness. That's language we read in Genesis about us. And later we come to know Jesus as the very image of God and the exact likeness of God. You can open your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 1 to find that kind of language. 
God has made his people to create or to work, and later we come to find that the, all of creation was made, was created or worked out by, for, and through Jesus. God has his people marry, and later we come to know that the whole story of all creation, when in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, the climax to that story is marriage. We were set up from the beginning to be a picture of God, who he is, what he does, and what his purposes are. So we just looked at something from Genesis 1. I now want to go all the way to the other end, to the end of the Bible for a minute. This is what God has in mind from the very dawn of time. When he created all things, do you know what he was up to? What was he thinking about? If we can use these kinds of words for a divine triune being, what was God imagining? Desiring. Do you know what he was up to? Do you know what he had in mind? When he spoke, let there be light. Such tremendous mystery even in that. How does God without lips speak into a space that doesn't exist? Let there be light. What did he have in mind when he did this? This is what he was up to. Let's look at Revelation chapter 21, verses 1 through 4. And can I just encourage you to become extraordinarily familiar with the first two chapters and the last two chapters of your Bible. Revelation 21, verses 1 through 4. This is uh, the Apostle John. We see we're still talking about John. Oh, this is great. Uh, he got a vision um, from God, and, and here's, what, here's what he saw. Um, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying or pain anymore for the former things have passed away. This is a picture that we are given of the end. A time everlasting, creation renewed, embodied presence with God. Jerusalem in this passage is a metaphor for the community of God's people. It's the church. Together, together, corporately, this presses against an individualistic, just me and God kind of dynamic. Do you know that the marriage is not between you personally and God alone? It is between the church, corporate, and God. And it, living together, world without end, in a kind of marriage to our Lord. This is what God had in mind from the very beginning. Do you know that? Do you know that this is the whole goal and aim of God's creation? The marriage between the church and Jesus lived out forever in the new heavens and the new earth. This is the end of it all. The purpose for which it was made, the goal. And God has parked an image of this, of his end of time fullness, he's parked an image of that into the very fulcrum of our families and communities. From the very beginning of creation, Jesus said, God ushered his people into marriage. And these marriages, these other-focused, sacrificial, committed, childbearing relationships were to image the marriage upon which all of our hopes rest. Think about that. I'll read that again. 
these marriages, these other focused, sacrificial, committed, childbearing relationships were to image the real marriage upon which all of our hopes rest. Doesn't Christ serve us? Sacrifice himself for us? Commit himself for us? Aren't we called to do the same to him? And isn't our relationship with Christ supposed to bear the fruit of more and more children of God? Do you see the interaction between the image and the real thing? So I'm married to this really cool girl named Anna Blythe. And our marriage is intended to image or picture the real one. That's what my marriage to her, our marriage together is supposed to do. Our marriage is supposed to picture or image the real one, the end of time one. Like kids playing house, right? Or doctor or cowboy. We don't play cowboys and Indians anymore. Uh, this is not PC. Um, but my wife and I are playing, in a sense, we're playing marriage. My marriage is not the real thing. It's the plaything. Neither, too, is any of your future marriages going to be the real thing. That's the plaything. And if you think I'm stretching this too much, this comes up over and over again in the scriptures. So we're going to take a deep drink right now. Jesus, and I can give you references later for some of these things. I'm just going to mention some stuff. We'll read some stuff. Jesus calls himself the bridegroom. He calls himself the bridegroom. When John the Baptist sees Jesus coming, John the Baptist also calls Jesus the bridegroom. Jesus compares the kingdom of heaven to a wedding feast that everyone's invited to. The prophets of God, like listen to the way that, that God himself talks about who he is and who his people are to him in the prophets. So we're going to look at some verses on the screen because I want you to see the starkness of this kind of language. So from Isaiah 54 verse 5, and pretty much you can start there and go through the end of Isaiah and see this kind of language repeated. For your maker, God's talking to his people, for your maker is your husband. The Lord of hosts is his name, and the Holy One of Israel is your redeemer, the God of the whole earth he is called. God calls himself the husband of his people. Or Ezekiel chapter 16, verses 6 through 8. Tell me that you do not think this is intimate language. Tell me you don't think this is lover's talk. When I passed you by, or by you and saw you wallowing in your blood I said to you in your blood live I said to you in your blood live and I made you flourish like a plant in the field and you grew up and became tall and arrived at full adornment your breasts were formed and your hair had grown yet you were naked and bare and when I passed by you again and saw you behold you were at the age for love and I spread the corner of my garment over you and covered your nakedness and I made my vow to you and entered into a covenant with you declares the Lord God and you became mine now, when God is speaking through the prophet Ezekiel at this moment, what he's referring to is when God made his covenant with his people. He's going back to like Mount Sinai. And God, looking through Ezekiel, is going back to this time when Israel received the law, and he's saying, I made a covenant with you that's like a marriage covenant. Hosea chapter 2, verses 19 through 20. And I will betroth you to me forever. I will betroth you to me in righteousness and in justice, in steadfast love and in mercy. I will betroth you to me in faithfulness, and you shall know the Lord. 
Or in the New Testament, listen to what the Apostle Paul believed that he was doing. So he was out making disciples and building up a church, right? I mean, if you don't know that, the Apostle Paul is one of the greatest evangelists of all time. Billy Graham might rival him. I don't know. But uh, I don't know what you think about that. I just mean in terms of numbers. But the Apostle Paul was like crazy in, in what he started and what he did. In bringing the church to the known world at the time. He was making disciples and building up the church. Listen to the language that he uses about what he's accomplishing from 2 Corinthians chapter 11. To the people there that he's, he's struggling with, he's fighting for their, for their um, loyalty to the gospel, truly, which they keep forgetting. He's fighting for this with them, right? He says, I feel a divine jealousy for you since I betrothed you to one husband to present you as a pure virgin to Christ. You see the marriage language? clearly over and over again in this is this imagery why would i want to labor on this with you why would i want to read different passages from different books of the bible for this thing because of this friends you were created for this you were created for this marriage and you will not be satisfied until you have it just like your desire to live and not die which you have you have a desire to prolong your life. Assuming you think that there's a part of it that is good, you don't want it to end. Just like that. Or your desire to hear God's voice audibly and see him face to face. That's not a, a random quirk about you. You aren't this rogue Christian that just everybody else seems fine, but you really would love to hear a voice. You really love to actually just see him. That's not random. That's not because you don't have enough faith. Those are God-ordained desires which God himself wants to satisfy. That's why you have those desires. You have the desire to live or to be healthy or to not mourn or to see God face to face. You have those desires because he wants to satisfy them. So too, the desire that you have to be intimately known and loved. Every single person in this room has that desire near the bedrock of who they are. Everyone. You desire to be known and loved. This too is God-given. It's God-given. You were made to know as you're known, to love as you were loved. Friend, you were made for marriage. And I don't mean the marriage to another person in this room or on this planet or at the guys and girls' house. I mean the marriage of the church and Jesus. Uh, Tyler, would you put up the word penultimate? If you got that up there? You guys know what this word means? Did, did you have that slide? Um, I don't, do you know what the word penultimate means? Penultimate. Anybody know? Yeah, second to last, right? And it's not ultimate, but it's next to ultimate. <laughs> you know, that's what it means, okay? Uh, it means next to last, right? So it's not, it, it, sometimes what we use it, it, it is, uh, doesn't technically mean this, but this is how we use it, is we, we mean it's not the greatest but it's the next to the greatest. It's the second greatest, okay? And, and now that I've said that, will you put up a picture of my family? <laughs> uh, this is my family. Uh, that's, a great, that's a great picture. Um, it's a really good picture. You can have it if you want it. You can just take it and put it in frames and stuff. Um, this picture that you're looking at right here, so for me and my life, and, and I believe, I believe this, this, I believe that God has called me to, to no higher purpose in this world right now than to love that girl sitting to my right in the picture, to our left, Anna. 
And I love her more than anybody else on the entire planet. It's actually really fun because I even tell my kids that. I'll tell them, do you know that I love your mommy more than you? And they love it. <laughs> like they don't, they don't freak out when I say that. They actually, that, I think that that actually communicates a kind of safety for them. A space within which they know that they can't wreck the two of us. You know, kind of thing, right? Um, so, so I love her so much. And I love those kids more than anything else. When my son, I get to tell him I love him more than any boy on the planet. That's really tricky with my daughters. Uh, you know, like just I get sort of technical with those kinds of things. And it's sort of weird. Uh, but, uh, but, but, but this picture for me, and, and I believe God has called me to this family and to love them more than anybody. Like, all you can die, I'm protecting them. You know, kind of thing, right? Like, I love you, but you're not even penultimate for me. You're like third ult. I don't know what that means. I don't know what the word is, but somebody else can tell me what the word is. But this picture right here is penultimate in my life. It's a good word for it, right? Because get this, that marriage, those kids, those relationships are not ultimate. They don't ultimately satisfy anyone in that picture and they are not ultimately the most important thing in the world the relationships that we share with each other this is a very unfortunate turn of words right now okay but my wife and I we were brother and sister before we were husband and wife and we will be brother and sister long after we're husband and wife I am father to my son and to my daughters but my hope is not in that I don't look at my son and go, I am your father, therefore I'm satisfied. And as long as I can maintain this relationship forever, I will be satisfied. My hope is that we will be brothers in a world without end. That's what I hope for with him. My kids will likely get married one day. Statistically, it's likely. They'll get married one day. And their marriages, guess what? Their marriages will be more important to them than their relationship with me and their mother. Do you get that? I just said I love that girl more than anybody else in the world. Sorry, Mom. My mom's birthday, incidentally, is today. It's on Valentine's Day. And so every year I was single, it was so great to call her up and be like, you're my Valentine, Mom. Like, I haven't said that since I got married, you know? Uh, and I won't. That's weird. <laughs> like, you, know, you don't do that. Uh, <laughs> so anyway. Um, but one day, like, like when my kids get married, like they are going to have relationships that are more central to who they are and to what God's called them to than me. And my wife and I, one of us will die, but probably before the other, and then the other one will. That's a, that's a reality of the world we live in right now, friends. And what a tragedy if all of my hopes are pinned, if all the meaning in my life is pinned upon this picture's reality that I must somehow protect this or I lose in the game of life, what? This is not ultimate. It's pen-ultimate. But this is what we do in our sin. We make penultimate things ultimate things. We take the image for the thing itself. We take the picture of marriage, the plaything that we get to play around with, and we try to take from it all the stuff that only the real thing can offer. You with me? My desire to be known and loved, my wife cannot ultimately fulfill that. She can't. She's just a girl. I happen to think she's the best one, but she's just a girl. Only the real spouse can fulfill that. 
Only the real bridegroom can fulfill that. There is truly, truly a marriage upon which all of our hopes can really be set. It's just the one between Jesus Christ and his bride, the church. And the implications of this are so many. The implications of this are so many, and I gotta speak to some different folks in the room in just a second here, right? But the reason that you want to be known and loved is because that's what you were created for. That's why. And the reason that we doubt that or buck against it if we do so often, the reason we try to shut it down or pretend that we don't care about those things is only, is only because we keep trying to satisfy that desire with lesser ends, and, and they fail us, and it hurts. They break, right? So we try to protect ourselves or numb ourselves by running to other idols. That's what we do. That's why we doubt it or buck against it. But you'll never ultimately shake it. If you came here lonely tonight, I know a lot of you did. And what I'm about to say might even mean all of us did in a certain extent. I want you to remember that before sin and death entered the world, before sin and death entered the world, God said it is not good for man to be alone. There is a kind of loneliness that isn't brought about by sin. Eden was just the beginning, and God actually made mankind incomplete. I had some people stand up earlier. You can ask questions about this kind of thing. God made man incomplete and pointed him to the end that he had in mind. And it may be that some of the loneliness you feel tonight, if you feel lonely, is aimed at the new heavens and the new earth. It may be that some of your loneliness is actually a sign that you haven't given up and that what you want still lies ahead. And so to you, I just say don't give up. Lean forward, asking God to make do on his promise. Because if you're feeling lonely tonight and you ache tonight in that, it, the person sitting next to you is not gonna be able to satisfy that. If you came here tonight with a trail of broken hearts behind you, <laughs> some of you surely did, uh, can I tell you just that there's a marriage that you can't break? There's a marriage you can't break. And to you I say, come. The Spirit and the Bride say, come. The Lord God himself can wash you clean and bring you faithfully and beautifully to the throne to share in a marriage that won't end. If you came here tonight already in a romantic relationship, remember that this is not the one that you really hoped for. Like my kids playing with toy cars or playing house, this is just intended to prepare you and others and to stir up desire for the real thing the real relationship that you're in, or sorry, the relationship that you're currently in cannot sustain you. It can't. It can't fulfill all of the God-given desires you have inside of you. And so to all of you in romantic relationships and all of you looking forward to romantic relationships, I would say remember that this is at most, at most penultimate. And I'd even wait to throw that tag on it until you say I do in front of a bunch of folks. At most, it'll be penultimate. So take it easy on the, on the other person and don't make an idol out of them or this relationship. And may the freedom which comes from that be a great space for love to grow in. For all of us, friends, our desire to be known and loved, our desires to be known and loved are meant to be there. They're actually meant to be there. They're not a mistake. They're not even a product of sin or a lie from Satan. 
although both surely twist and pervert our desires. We have our desires because, because God has an answer for them. That's why. And he answers them primarily in himself. You want to be loved because you were made to be loved. You want to be known because you were made to be known. And whether you're called to marriage or to singleness before you die, you all are invited to the marriage feast of the Lamb. And in response to that, brothers and sisters, what we do is we press forward. We image the love of God in the whole of our lives, in singleness, in dating, in breakups, in romance, in family dynamics that are good or bad. The call upon all of us is to image God and his love in the whole of our lives and not ever mistaking the penultimate things for the ultimate things. All of the things that you really desire, if you could just unweave the nasty spells, if you could just untwist the perversion of them and get back to the created good, you would find that there's really good things that you want that God is satisfying. The desire for a good father, the desire for a good mother, the desire for belonging and connectedness, the desire for for labor that doesn't just bring about frustration, the desire for play that is free and fun and not, the desire to be like not ashamed, especially when you're vulnerable and naked. God has an answer and a satisfying answer to all of those things. We just keep chasing after lesser gods. And responding to the call of the great bridegroom is, is what you're invited to do throughout this whole time of your life before you die. Hear his voice. That's what we're going to do on Tuesday nights. I'm going to tell you over and over again, Jesus wants you. Jesus loves you. You may not believe it, and I don't know how to change that. I can only tell you who he is and what he said and hope that his spirit does some work. Hope that you're honest enough to recognize what's going on inside of you. Hope that you are sober enough to see that nothing else in all of creation can satisfy the desires that you have. You know what this bridegroom does? He pays the ultimate price for his bride. He cleans and adorns his bride. He prepares a table for his bride and feeds her. He builds a home for his bride. And he'll come again for his bride. And to him, we say amen and come Lord Jesus. Let's pray. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, I thank you for the promise the promise that, uh, that the desires we have in the end will be satisfied by you. And yet I recognize that for many of us, um, we need you to help our unbelief in that. I know that so many of us, um, we don't even desire strongly because we're so afraid to get hurt. So may you help us aim our desires at the right thing, at you, um, trusting that you won't fail us. And may we as brothers and sisters to one another um, care for one another in this process. May we have foretastes and, and, uh, and experiences of what is to come even now so that we can be refreshed in our journeys. Thank you for creating in us an unshakable desire to be known and loved. And I pray for all my friends in the room and me too that that only gets louder in us and not quieter. 
and that you stir it up and you make us so hungry that nothing on this earth can satisfy us but you. Even as we, we sing right now to you, would you provide us with what we need to do that? And would you receive it graciously? We look forward with great anticipation to you coming again. Come soon. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you.